Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 47 of The Lodge. We have an old dear friend of mine, Joe Mutarelli, on today. But before we move forward, I want to take a minute and extend a huge thank you to the Sages of The Lodge. Now, the Sages of The Lodge are the people that, who, even though all of my content is free, choose to give a small monthly donation to The Lodge. And I just want to extend my deepest thank you to them because they keep it all going. So, without further ado, here's the roll call. Big thank yous to Charlotte Astry, Chris Perkowski, Macaulay Warhol, Daniel Muller, my mom, Shane Thomas Driscoll, Andrew Clay, and Roger Kemp. You all are the sages of the Lodge. I have nothing but love and respect for you. Thank you so, so, so much for everything you do for the Lodge. And without further ado, let's move on with the episode. None of that. But something you forgot. See, everybody's forgot something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so, I can bring this out, what you've forgotten, if I ask you, who are you? Well, you say I'm Paul Jones, or whatever your name happens to be. I say, oh, no, no, I don't, don't give me that stuff. Who are you, really? Who are you? And we are rolling. Welcome back, everybody, to the Landy Lodge. Today's guest, Joe Mutarelli. How are you? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super psyched on it. Dude, I'm glad. I'm glad we had you over. Thank you. You brought a uh, nice bottle of wine over before the podcast, and we had a couple nice glasses, which was good. So yeah, thank you, you know, for that. Very gentlemanly of My you. mother raised me right. I can't, yeah. <laughs> like, I can't just show up to a person's home. Dude, your brother said the same exact thing on his podcast. She raised him right, too. Exactly. <laughs> Well, shout out to Mama Mutarelli. You you obviously raised them right. This straight confirmation. So what's going on, man? I know we, we talked about it a little bit out there, but I want to get more into it. You just started flying through Link's Awakening. Oh, yeah. I, I burned yeah. that game down in about a week. A week and a half or so. So was it that addicting? I, th- I just think it was so damn cute. And I never got into the early Zeldas. Fair. Okay, so like the 2D Zeldas. Right, exactly. Gotcha. The yeah. Game Boy ones especially. Like, I never really got into them. And having the Switch, now I'm like... Just gobbling up any title that I know anything about, looking for you know, looking for something right that'll keep my attention for a little while. So this is my first entree into the two D Zeldas, and I fell in love because it's the cutest game I've ever seen in my it life. It looks it looks incredibly charming. The soundtrack sounds incredible. It is, and it's like we're at a place where we can uniquely have like three like it's almost like a marriage between three dimensional and two dimensional. Because mm-hmm. those graphics are so three-dimensional. They're popping out of the screen. Exactly. And you know? unlike other games, uh, other Zelda games, you have a controllable jump. Oh, wow. So it, yeah, it does yeah. have just a tiny little bit of 3D aspect to it. And then you also have tiny little sequences of straight 2D side-scroller. Almost now, Mario style. Now, you, so you never played the old Link's Awakening, right? No. So this is your first, like you said, this is your first dive onto the I'm, 2D Zelda. I may have had it, but I, I definitely didn't play it through. Did you know they're going to be crossover between Zelda and Mario oh, enemies? Oh no, caught me way off guard. How cool is that? Oh, dude. It makes it, that's I, part of the charm, right? I love the game so much. Like you said, it's the perfect word. It's just charming as hell. It's so, I, I can't wait to play it. On, it's on the to-do list. Um, I might have to play Fire Emblem Three Houses before that. Okay, have you, yeah. have you heard or seen anything about that game? I got into like the very early Fire Emblems, but I never stuck with them. I was the same way. But they get, you know, they get a lot of hype. This new one looks incredible. It's got a whole um. Put it this way, it's like Hogwarts in a fantasy realm, mm-hmm. and that and you're a professor at Hogwarts in this fantasy realm. That's the most like base way I could describe it. I'm I'm kind of sold already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And basically, you build like relationships with your students, and like what you teach them in class is what they learn use on the battlefield. Oh, dude! So yeah, exactly. They, so that's like that's your little your party. That that's you your party. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. So it's it's really cool. I dig that. Yeah, and it, it eventually finds its way into a rebellion versus empire, you know, plot. You know, because it's a fantasy setting, and you kind of have to do that. But. Exactly. That's the. It's kind of the vehicle that you know. Shows us what it needs to show us, or mm-hmm. unfolds the way it needs to unfold. But uh, getting back to Link's Awakening, you're you're up to the final boss. You said you flew through this game in the week. How many hours would you say it took you to get 
to where you are now. Not even many. Marbles. I, I would sit that, down. 15, something like I was going to say. I'd sit down maybe two hours at a time, do a little preamble, finish a boss, and then put it down for a, for a day or two. Oh, my God. Now, how is the music from, like, town to town? Like, are there any specific musical numbers in the game that stand out to you? Like, a certain village's theme or the open world theme or anything like that? I don't want to single them out because they're all so really beautiful and really well composed. And it comes through so crystal clear, like, you don't think about you would have it on a Game Boy, right? Yeah. And you have that little chiptune sound to it. It You get a little taste of that, but I do want to single out the Animal Village. The, the 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 theme for the animal village for one reason or another they decided to it's a pretty common theme but they the like the musical instruments are barks and meows well the different voices of the song are <laughs> it's and it's charming and cute and well done you would think it would get annoying but it doesn't i say it looks like a very comfortable game mm-hmm. it, it looks like a bit of a like Zelda, Zelda games are typically very challenging in terms of like their puzzles or um sort of like uh dungeon comprehension but it seems like Link's Awakening has its own... Like, it seems like the combat is more of a challenge. Mm-hmm, I would say, because you yeah. have a lot of limitations to yourself. But I would agree. It's not It's not a brain melter. It's the, it's not the Water Temple in Ocarina. It's just... Oh, boy. It's challenging enough. It keeps your attention. It's not like you're breezing through like it's a, like it's a walk in the park. But... <laughs> oh, dude. So, do you have any, like, Water Temple horror stories from Ocarina of Time? Oh, no. The, I mean, the Water Temple was, like, the first time I opened a walkthrough for a Zelda game. Yep, and it, I feel like it's it's a lot of people a, lost their walk through it's virginity. It's a precipitous fall. Yeah. It's like a fall. It, it, and there's the worst part is, at least in the older ones, isn't the same case in the remake. But in the older ones, if you do a certain path a certain way, you can fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. You can fuck yourself in the dungeon. And there's no way out. You'll spend an hour trying to figure yourself out. Then you'll spend an hour backtracking. Yeah. And like and that's e- it. even worse, there's one particular way you can go where there's no one doing it. Mm-hmm. You've now placed yourself out of solving the water temple. Um, it was cruel. It was cruel, but I feel like... It felt almost intentionally cruel. Yeah. Yeah, I guess because it was like the pole... You know how, like, you had to go through... When you got the medallions in the start menu, you kind of had that circle Mm -hmm. of all the medallions? I guess because the water temple was at the bottom. Yeah, it felt like that's where you're... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think think you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, that's right. Are there any other uh, games you're diving in on lately? No, not lately. I, you know... We're zeroed in. Back to corporate now. It's uh, it takes up all your time. So I, when I do have time to sit down for a game, it's just one to completion, and we'll see what happens after that. Good aside for you. From, it takes a lot of focus. Aside from obviously like picking up your your Smash Brothers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like or almost like the party gaming. Yeah, too. your your twenty minute games. Exactly. Um. So uh, when you're not gaming, what do you what do you run? Oh, uh, when I'm not gaming and not working, obviously we, you know, I have my little interests that are all little. Outside the box, and I guess that we can go through them in turn if that's what you wanted to talk about. Uh, it's up to you, really, man. I'm kind of just jonesing. So this uh, this season being what it is, I guess I'll go into that first. I don't think Rob really mentioned my side of that when he was on the show. Cool. Um, so Oktoberfest season is both of our busy seasons. Rob, because he's in a polka band, and myself, because I'm a German dancer. Oh, man. And you went to school uh, for, for German, didn't you? Well, yeah. I studied yeah. German language and literature. was my later, my major at Binghamton. Excellent. Oh, and look, hey, you fell right into it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, so very straightforward path. <laughs> very focused, man. Very focused. Good I for you. I definitely wouldn't call it straightforward, but yeah, when when <laughs> we got, were kids, yeah, so. when we were kids, mom and dad kind of had us in the club, and right about the time Rob and I each turned fifteen, I guess we started doing the German dancing. So if you've ever seen cool. National Lampoon's uh, European Vacation. Which I thought you, I think you told me you didn't see. I did not see. No. But in European Vacation, there's a scene where Chevy Chase gets up on is dragged up on stage by some German dancers in lederhosen. They got him slapping his knees for the entertainment of the crowd, and that's what I do with my October much of the time. And you and that's awesome, dude. How long have you been doing that for? So yeah, it started really in earnest when I was like fifteen, sixteen. So a solid decade now. So what do you love about it? I mean. I, I could give you the real answer, or I can give you the answer that sounds good. I guess the one that sounds good. I want, I want the real answer. So I'll tell you the one that sounds good first, then. Okay, that's cool. I um, like that. It does, and it's it's no lie. It feels good to be in touch with your culture and your heritage, especially when my parents are in the club, my grandparents are in the club. 
there there are a dozen or more men and women in that club who I call my aunt and uncle just because I've that's known awesome. them my entire life and we're tight that's, as all hell. So it's very it's very communal. Right. Yeah, okay. Oh, so it's very tight knit. Strong sense of community. That's and great. Exa- that's, that's what that's what everybody's striving for. That's you know, that's yeah, the thing. I think there's something in us that's always looking for that. It feels weird to strive for or to see people striving for when it feels so native to me and it's something that I've always yeah. had as a part of my life. And then, you know, you turn around and you look at it like it's sad that a lot of people don't have that con- both a connection to their culture and even a lot of people don't have that community around them which yeah is that latter one especially man not having a community around you that's that's an important thing i think humans are you know we're pretty social creatures oh yeah as we are and i feel like that's how we operate because it's like they say if you put if you put a human one-on-one versus a chimp the chimp's gonna win every time you put a human every time. you put like five humans versus the chimp the chimp might still win but you get 10 humans you'll beat the chimp you know? Agreed. It's like, they say like a thousand humans can take on a hundred chimps. But if you get a hundred chimps yeah. and a hundred humans... If you got that, if you have the ratio, eventually it tips in favor of humanity. Yeah. But we work we work well in numbers. We work well in numbers. Um, but getting back to the, the German dancing, so what's the what's the real answer? So the, the real answer is, who doesn't want to like put on leather shorts and like <laughs> be, be cheered on by a crowd who, you know, everyone, everyone in the crowd is so excited to see you, and you're getting hammered. Like facts. you're drinking, drinking Absolute beers, facts. dancing around. Just ha- it's it's an afternoon in the park, and you know you get also, to feel the, bit the, out of the, it as well. The venues, it's an outdoor venue. You mostly well, outside. Mostly, yes. I mean, we cool. we practice out of this one spot in Franklin Square called Plateauage Park. Tons of people know. Oh, Plateauage Park is great. Yeah. So Plateauge there are, there great. are actually three German dance clubs that operate out of that catering hall. No kidding. Yep. Wow. Who knew? That's what's so. That's what's so great. I'm f- constantly fascinated by the strength of subcultures mm-hmm. that might be small, but they're strong. You know, I, I, we, I want more of that. Yeah, I, I want mean, more I, of that, look, man. I think that's the answer to a lot of problems. Well, you if know? you're if you're looking for that with Germans, you come there down you to Plattdeutsch one of these days because there there are people who have been there since they were little, and they will be there when they're old. That's great. No, I got a uh, I got an aunt and uncle who who frequent the Plattdeutsch mm-hmm. uh, every once in a while. Uh, shout out to Uncle Jose Anthony. Shouts out. Shouts out. Um, anyway, I've been there a few times. My old buddy Jesse Robinson used to work in the kitchen there. I remember Jesse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually also used to work there, and so did Rob. No kidding. What, what did you guys do? We were both working catering. Catering, so we would, dope. Okay. If you were like hosting an event there, we would be your waiters and fetching the trays of food and all that. Yo, what do you... Because I used to work in... I used to be a server. Like, mm-hmm. What do you think that line of work taught you? Because I look back oh. on my time, and I'm like... I feel like I learned... A few skills that aren't either easily picked up on or easily noticed. So, in terms of like a mentality that it taught me, it just it teaches you kindness. It teaches you how to be a reasonable human being. Yeah, and look at somebody and say like, even just because everything should be fine and I expect everything to be fine, just assume that your server's having the worst day of their friggin' life today because they very well might. It's true. They might be even if it's not the worst day of their life. They could be on a double shift. Double shift. Maybe their money is tight. This wasn't their shift. Some dude called him in like, "Hey, can you cover me?" Or even worse, somebody called out and he has to pick up double tables Mm -hmm. or something. Or like even one of the worst things could be anything. Could be anything. One of the worst things that would that I watched it. It demoralized everyone. No one was void of feeling demoralized at this when you wait on a huge table, a party of like 20 people, you know, and they tip you five bucks. Mm. And like that happens. That's going to happen to you. Yep. And it's going to happen more than once if you stick with it long enough. Absolutely. But I will say for every person who did that, somebody tipped you ridiculously. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like really throwing a nickel into good karma wishing well. When you get stiffed like that, someone's going to come in and take pity on you. You're going to get a good table inside a a week or two. And I think I found, and I don't know, I guess it's personal bias, right? But ever since I've been a server, I now try to tip 20% bottom. Unless they're not, I've maybe yeah. gotten bad service if once. I, but look, most people, they it. give you good enough service if that I get like, If I get bare minimum passing grade service, I'm tipping you 20%. Yeah. If, I, if I get a little bit of, a bit of good conversation or, you know, I get, you know, a free refill on my basket of fries or something, you're getting <laughs> 25%. And that's just... That's what I'm saying. Even if you give, if you give me a little bit, I'll... I, because a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of people don't know that at least in the state of New York, because I can't speak for everywhere, there's Facts. uh, it's perfectly legal to pay restaurant employees less than minimum wage. Oh yeah, I got paid like three dollars an hour. They get tipped. Yeah, I got I got paid I was, like three bucks an hour. I think I was paid on salary. I didn't even have an hourly rate. That's one way to do it, man. 
that's one way to do it because then you don't have to feel bad about that mm. i feel like you if you get paid salary at a position like that you're more able to kind of take the hardships you can because you know at the end of the day you can't get stiff or yeah i mean you would but that's what i'm saying rather is i got paid on salary because i you work today here's your shift pay gotcha that, that was nothing i feel you 50 maybe 75 bucks a night gotcha gotcha but you know you have great nights you ever work a new year's eve in a restaurant? Uh, yes, I've worked. Yeah, I've worked some hot. Dude, New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day is another mm, one. Valentine's Everybody Day. Everybody wants to leave a big tip on you got, Valentine's Day. You got boyfriends Day. showing off. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, that was, That's a winner. That's that a winner. Like, of a you day. know, I actually really owe a lot of where I am today working at a restaurant because it, it definitely shapes you as a person, I would it say. It shapes you. It forces you to just focus and hustle. Mm hmm. And while I was. Uh, waiting, waiting tables, I was teaching myself computer programming. Oh, there you go. And I think just that work ethic that was just forced upon me mm -hmm. bled into my studying. Because you know how to put your head down and get the job done. Exactly. And that bled into me studying programming got me where I am today. So it's like, I'm always going to look fondly mm -hmm. on that. You know, those people work hard. Oh, yeah. Those it's people a, work very hard. It's not unlike the military. And I don't want to... You know, in a, in the sense that you're supposed to be pretty robotic, like exactly. not there's autonomous. A, there's a shut up and do it attitude. There's a definite hierarchy, without question. Without so question, you get, that's something you you learn to spot. Like you yeah. walk into a room and you know who's been around for a minute. Right. You know what the best you know what the best part is where you just have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you cry. Right. Oh yeah, you have to. When you're working the closing shift on a weekend and it's like 11:45 at night and just somebody walks in like. <sighs> Y'all got a table? We're closing in 20 minutes. Oh, but you have to take them. <laughs> Did you, uh, you saw the movie Waiting? Yes. Brilliant. Film. Is it not the <laughs> most accurate depiction of that lifestyle you've ever seen in your life? It has set the bar. Right? It has set the bar without question. And it has everything that we just talked about. It has getting yep. stiffed. It has, like, the, the dude you know coming into work and, like, oh, weirdly yes. over-tipping. Yes. Or, like, when someone takes pity on you. That's the other thing. The That's the other thing. I don't like that job does get looked down upon. Yeah. Oh yeah. It for and sure does, and it can pay off a little bit insofar as you get dudes who are like, oh, I'll I'll throw an extra few bucks to the lowly waiter because he's not the same <laughs> status as me. Yeah. But but whatever. You have everything to gain from that. Exactly. You know, put, you can, put your ego in you the can, backyard. You can like, lean into that a little bit and make a little yeah. less money today. So yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's that's like, the hustle. That's the exactly. When people would ask me, because some some customers would ask me like, what do I do? When I told them I was studying something. That, that worked like a charm. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, he's a real hustler. Yeah. You know, he's not settling. Um, but she also meets, it's also a great way to make connections. Oh, yeah. I met a lot. I got some freelance clients through through being mm -hmm. a waiter. Um, I I, def I definitely caught a couple job applications just from chatting with tables about, you know, I'm, yeah. I, got a, I got a degree in German language and literature. That's why I work here. Can you help me out? Did you, did you ever speak to people in German when you were working in catering? Very rarely you get speak get people who actually speak German, you get a lot of German family. But gotcha. And then there are the ones who speak German, but only the dialect from their particular village where they grew up in Germany. Okay. So it was tough, but there were definitely opportunities. And that also, that that's another thing you could definitely lean on as a German speaker, as a waiter. Yeah. And it was a crazy art to it, too, I always felt. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can, like, almost kind of move in rhythm. It makes the job mm -hmm. a little better. Yeah, you know? it's like a, it's a dance in that way. In some ways, dude. In some ways, and as with that, it also taught me, and this is true everywhere. But at that job, I really saw it exemplified. If you got a good crew around you, it makes everybody's lives a oh, million yeah. times easier. That's you can't have hey. so, you can't have someone slowing up production if everybody's cool and everybody's there to work. Bro, it's smooth. You can you can coast. It's smooth, but it's so rarely the case. It is so rarely the case. But then you start to learn like that should that's something you have to look out for in every workplace. Mm -hmm. And that's how you become a manager. That's how you, yeah. your entree into management is spot, spotting out those guys who you know slow up production, identifying why, and getting them getting them on board. Yeah, getting them in step. Oh man, that's cool, dude. So, um, the German dancing. Yeah. It's a lot to unpack. I know it. It's... It really. I'm really curious about it because I think that's so. I think that's so cool, man. I think those are the best things about people. Mm -hmm. Are those things they really love and get ex like you? It's something you need to prepare for. Like if you mm -hmm. really need oh, to prepare yeah. for something, you have a love for it. There's preamble and there, you know, history to it. Yeah. Where have you found uh, other utility having learned German, like outside that little community of yours? Like where else have you been able to apply it? So, I won't say this is true of just German because it's true of learning any language I think but you mm -hmm. 
I mean, did you speak only English until, I guess, like, high school or middle school when you started taking um, the language? You or? know what's crazy? I actually learned the majority of Spanish that I know by heart when I was a child. Really? And then I would take Spanish in high school, but I knew enough that I could coast at a B, B plus in Spanish, mm-hmm. so I kind of just... Did you Did you have Spanish around you? Uh, yeah, my grandmother and grandfather. Okay. okay uh, my gotcha. grandmother's from Puerto Rico, my grandfather's from Cuba, and my mom would say it. So, I know a lot of phrases, I know a lot of curses, I know a lot of <laughs> questions... Um, but coming up with a sentence takes me a little bit. I can, I can read Spanish moderately well. I can write Spanish. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. So I was going to say like learning a language as an adult, as, as you know, science tells us and everyone tells us it's a process and it's much harder than learning when you're a child because of, you know, neuroplasticity is a word that gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm not a neurologist, (laughs) but it. I think the process of learning the language makes you thoughtful of the words you're using. It makes you more considerate of the message you're trying to get across. You know what trips me out about it? And this is, I remember I was teaching myself Spanish while I was learning programming. I eventually learned to like, I actually chose to stop learning Spanish and really dive into programming Mm because programming is a language. Oh, yeah, it is. And I realized like, dude, I feel like words are magic, dude. Words are a way of, like, manifesting reality. Like, they're spells. It's like mm-hmm. we're all wizards and witches. Yeah, you're you're mind-controlling somebody. If I say a word, it forces you to consider think, what I put in your brain. Yeah, and I think, like, that's kind... I think that's kind of where all those kind of ideas of, like, telekinesis or, like, mm. like willing reality come from. Is that, like, through speech, you're able to... Like, you and I can get to a certain point in a conversation. Like, we can choose to learn something, or we can choose to explore something, or remember something, right? And, I don't know. It's it's always tripped me out. Yeah, I mean, like in a good think way. of what other animal exists, or what other being that we know of exists that has that level of communication where, forget communicating a want, or a desire, or an action, or anything like that. Communicating thought processes. Or stories. Stories, past events, consideration of future events. Music. You that's that's the key to humanity, and that's the key to how humans got to be what they are. I think. Yeah, I think it, it all stemmed from the spoken word, and it's it's really just us communicating with each other, right? That's the mm-hmm. answer to a lot of things. Like in a relationship, good communication mm-hmm. is the answer to a critical. lot of things. Like in a workplace, good communication absolutely critical. Yeah, it's like maybe maybe yeah, it could just be like the cornerstone of our whole evolution. But I'm not a biologist. <laughs> or a linguist or a linguist we're not experts people there's there's lots of experts i'm not that we this is not the expert podcast if you're looking for an expert podcast you're gonna have to go somewhere else but luckily that's not what people are generally looking yeah, for I don't, when they're I don't think like, anyone's... if they were there <laughs> i was expecting neil degrasse tyson this week but i guess it's just this dude oh, he knows. no no yeah right no not this time although that would be sick wouldn't it isn't he the best neil do you know he's he's got a way with words exactly it's you know what it's a perfect segue I think because it really is his his real key the magic to Neil deGrasse Tyson is the the fact that he can communicate these concepts and astro you know astrophysiological concepts to a guy like me he really and to paints, millions of people he paints a people. word picture yep. to put it to put it in a cliche he's really good at that and I always liked his take um, have you ever seen him talk about the uh, the Van Gogh piece mm-hmm. the uh, yeah he says the one um. Oh, what's the name of the piece again? Oh, yeah. uh, Starry Night. Starry Night, yeah. That it's the it's the one piece where the background is the main subject. Right. You know? Because you look at the... He was pointing out, you look at the foreground, you don't really remember that there's a guy on the right looking up. Yeah, and you don't look at the church. Right. Like, you know, you the, remember there's the a town. building there, yeah. but you don't quite have that image. You, everyone just thinks of the swirls in the sky. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty unique, man. And I think it does speak to kind of like the, uh, the human mystery of space. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's something we've... Can you imagine, like, when we were a little bit more primordial and we really knew nothing? Um, To try and describe the nothingness? The stars. How do you comprehend that? Especially when there's no light pollution Mm -hmm. and that shit was everywhere. How do you even begin to describe that or comprehend that, right? Like, and you like to think you could sit a dude down and say, Hey, listen, just so you know, hydrogen and helium in a fusion, there's a reaction and it's (laughs) just super hot. And do you know billion? Do you know the number billion? So a lot of billions (laughs) bigger... (laughs) Bro, that's like that. Yeah, that's why. That's why they say it's like if you dropped like, um, say a more in, like an indigenous person from a thousand years ago. If you dropped them in modern day Manhattan, their brain wouldn't be able to actually process what mm-hmm. everything is. Yeah, you know, because that's something that our brains do really well is look for patterns that we're familiar with 
and try and make sense of things. So your your brain and your eyes do lie to you, or they lie in sequence. Yeah, in some sense, create your perceptions. You know what it is? It's like a lot of what you look at is created from memory, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when you look at my walls after the first time you've seen them, you're looking at them through the filter of your memory, and that just keeps building. It builds yeah, with people. What you see is more your expectation. Yeah, whether you like that's whether you. Tr- no matter how conscious you are of it, you Doesn't always matter. end up doing it. It's part of your brain. Exactly. That's how your brain works. And it's, you know, I'm sure advantageous to us as a human species earlier in our history. But I feel, yeah, you know, yeah. it's different now. And what what would our existence be like if it wasn't like that? We're, we're almost part cyborg, right? We're pretty much the thing before part cyborg. We're getting close. Right? The computer is like, it's pretty much at the hip, mm-hmm. you know? Um, All I'm waiting for is the plug. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Chip Gang. Okay. So uh, are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I've heard the podcast. That's, yes, there we go. <laughs> Beautiful thing. So would you do it? Would you chip yourself? Would you connect yourself to a computer, make your thoughts searches, Have be able to move at the speed of light? You know, you get the whole thing. Yep. Be able to let you know when there's a tumor growing on your lung or something. The, the answer is yes, but. Yes, but. Like okay. 100%. Sure. Do I do I want to know as soon as there's a tumor? Absolutely, I do. Everybody does. Right? Do I? Do I? Yeah. You know. But I'm not gonna be like I'm not gonna be on the first batch. Nobody I'll, should get that iPhone one. I'll buy it, and that's exact. That's the same analogy I made. It, mm-hmm. That iPhone one was all right. It did. You know, it was an important step. Look at the iPhone 11. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. It's an Four, it's an 4K entirely camera. Thing. 4K camera. Like, yeah. For the love of so, God, yeah. I'm I'm down. Let me get a chip, but let me get like ten years in. So let me ask you something. You're not you're not afraid of any unwanted surveillance. That that doesn't worry you. I mean, it worries me. That's fair. It worries me too. It already happens. I got a Samsung TV. Hey, dude, it does happen. So like, it I've, already does happen. I've, you're right. I've already been desensitized to that, and I'm I'm That's kind fair. of okay. I'm I'm apparently okay with it, even though morally I'm vehemently opposed. Clearly, clearly that's not practical for me. But so there's a so you're attaching yourself to a computer, right? Mm-hmm. There are computer hackers. Does that worry you? I mean, that would that would like, be like a case by case basis, considering what the chip can actually do and connect you. What it can access? Because yeah. if it's like if you're drilling the chip into my spine and it can like control my arms and Doc Ock style, a guy could make me go stab somebody. Like that's something to consider. Yeah, but I if always... he's just looking at my medical records, like that's here's where I'm at. I almost wish it could just be like. Almost like a Thanos Infinity Gauntlet. It's like it's like something you drop into a wristband, and then it activates it. Okay. It's like, and now that it's hooked up to your like veins or bloodstream, it's able to communicate to the brain. Um, and then if you whenever you want, you can kind of just like pull out, mm. as opposed to like actually letting them, right, know, put something inside it. Whoop! Excuse me. Easy now. Yeah, easy now is right. <laughs> um, as opposed to actually letting them put something in your body, you know, have it to be something you could remove on and off again. Yeah. But technology, are we burning, do you think we're burning the candles at both ends here? Do you think as like technology that's able to help people keeps on pushing forward and progressing and getting better, do you think at the same point in the same vein, it's equally growing as more dangerous and destructive on the other end? So yes, I'll give you another yes, but. Okay. So Technology is absolutely more dangerous and destructive than it's ever been. I mean, I guess you peak that with the atom bomb to an extent. The EMP. But you've got electromagnetic pulse and you've got a lot of very creative ways to kill somebody with technology if that's your, uh, if that's your MO. Yeah, exactly. If that's what you're going for. But I think, and I hope, I hope this politically too, I think as a society, young people are generally more peace loving and more accepting of others. Yes. And I think, while there are a lot of you know old white dudes running our country right now, in the same in the same vein, we're gonna have a lot fewer old white scientists. And yeah, it's gonna it's it's it's, it's inevitably gonna get more diverse because that's kind of that's kind of what the American experiment was going for. But I hope and genuinely mm-hmm. believe that humanity is tending towards peace, even though it may not look like it. It's right all now. yeah, you know that's the crazy thing is like you know with the internet, the bad can communicate to us so much more. Uh, they have so much more access to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bad news attracts people because, like, we're almost like... Because it excites your lizard brain. Exactly. So, you know, the part of you that feels vulnerable is drawn to that out of a desire to protect itself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, to identify a threat. To identify a threat, exactly. But at the same time, it's like, what we consider poverty today was oh, middle class 100 years ago. Oh, yeah. Is lavish. Exactly. So that's kind of, that's the argument you could make mm-hmm. uh, on that end is that like, you know, while, you know, things have been pretty terrible in certain pockets of society, there are, there's another side to it. Oh, yeah. And the side where things a, are getting better and we are pushing things forward and lifting the tide up. There's a long history of horrible existences for humanity in general. Yeah, no, I think because we're all so connected, it's like atrocities, at the very least, can get the world's attention now. Yeah. You know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's my ignorance, but in the age of the internet, I don't believe we've had a, you know, World War II level holocaust yet. Well, I mean, that's China a, yeah. might be the closest thing, people, maybe in people my periphery. Will, people will tell you because there are definitely like there's some bad ho- shit going Holocaust type genocides that have occurred in I like Africa, Su- like Sudan. I think yeah. it has suffered something like that, and there are there's still civil war in the world. Yep, but you know, in in the year you know 1850, did some guy in Boston care if there was a civil war in Sudan? <laughs> exactly. Did he even know? Or if, if he even, even, even if he know. heard yeah. by some miracle from a sailor stepping off his ship that there was something going on, would it? how could that possibly impact me? There's no way. There's no way they'd ever be able to be able to really confirm that something like that is even happening. Like, photography wasn't a thing back then. Um, it was hard to present any kind of evidence that anything like that was happening anywhere else. Exactly. It's, you it, know, you know. At the time, if you looked around, you said, you know, forget, forget trying to explain the stars. <laughs> trying to try and explain what life is like in Africa. Like, just, yeah, you know, that's so true. However many thousand miles away, because it's an inconceivable distance that would probably take your life if you tried it. Dude, yeah, you'd, you'd probably die on the way yeah, over. Of, you know, scurvy or <laughs> feral rats. You could Or a fucking storm, dude. Nobody ship. could predict weather back yeah. then. That's the other thing. Let alone read. Dude. Pirates. Oh my god. Pirates were a real thing that very easily Bro, could have just why, why, decided today's the day. When I was a child, they glorified pirates. I thought pirates were so fucking cool when I was a kid. I was like, oh, being a pirate must have been awesome. But like, when you think about pirates, it didn't seem like they led the healthiest lives. I should say not. It didn't seem like they really had good use. Like, there's a lot of like their teeth getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. Nobody mentioned they were criminals. <laughs> Most of them. Well, I think that's... Like, a- you see cartoons and kids, like, pirates. It's yeah. like, they were fucking savages. Oh, yeah. Ruthless savages. They would just jack your boat and just raping, fuck they your were, day yeah. up. Raping and murdering was kind of the whole name of the game. Dude. Now, you say you, you, say you love pirates as a kid. If you want to combine loving pirates with uh, the realization of the reality of what their occupation is... Okay. Check out Black Sails on Stars. Yes, someone at my buddy Bobby Bernandez, shout out to him, he told me about this. He said it's an incredible show I he enjoyed, recommended to me years I ago. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I don't I wouldn't say by any means it's for anybody, you know. All parental right. advisory. There's a lot of nudity. I was about to say hell of a how show. would you compare this to like the Pirate of the Caribbean movies? I would say it's it's the Game of Thrones of Pirates. Whoa. It's the it is the Game of Thrones and you get that same kind of faction versus faction thing going bigger you know like broad scope global stuff i was gonna say to the point that like there's almost no good guy bad guy there's just like yeah they're all bad little mobs they're all bad it's little mobs competing. yeah you think that's really how the world is like do you think at the end of the day the world is a bunch of little mobs competing i think that's that's the framework that we've worked on for a long time and i think yeah some some people, you know, maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, don't want that to be the case anymore. I mean, Star Trek uh, glorified, like, a global government for yeah. us. Because it does mean, if you can have it run peacefully, and but, like, I don't know the logistics of running a world. Peacefully, yeah. Where everybody is in line with their desires and, you know, policies and things like that. You're never going to escape malevolence, right? Like, because then you're not human. Then, right. then we would cease to be human if malevolence couldn't contend. You know, but there's got to be some way to keep it more in check i suppose you know mm. and who's to say if things are more humane now than they've been before the history would argue yes but well yeah and i think know. doctors would argue that like quality of life is better just because of That's like true. access to medicine modern medicine is pretty amazing love me some of that modern medicine man <laughs> what's your favorite modern medicine bro <laughs> currently the knee surgery that i got a bunch of years back no kidding that is making it so that this the knee that got surgery is now my good knee 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I tore my wow. I tore my meniscus the year I was in Austria doing study abroad. I had come home for Christmas and I was sledding of all things in like one of the little oh, village parks around here. Oh man! And I dug my heel in the snow and I <sighs> I felt something go and I was like, I'm just gonna like pack some snow on and I'll be fine. <laughs> so I managed to like limp to my car. I like you know ice and heat. And then I yeah. go back to Austria and I live in a fifth floor walk up and I'm like running through airports and. Eight months, eight months after the initial injury, I'm oh, back. Man. I'm back home and I'm dancing. I'm doing a dance job in beautiful Eisen, in Eisenhower Park. Oh no, no, no! It's not oh. beautiful. Oh, it's not beautiful. <laughs> eight months later, I'm doing this dance job because my knee's still injured. I haven't oh, gotten the surgery. Oh, this is post surgery. I'm sorry. No, I haven't gotten oh, the surgery. Oh my god! Yet. Eight months, I've been running up and down stairs oh. through airports on a torn meniscus. So we're doing this jam- dance job, and effectively, I almost fall off the stage. At so Eisenhower. you didn't feel through those. You didn't feel through that time that your performance was being hindered. Oh, it was. Did you? You're just bad. fighting. Through I knew. It. I knew I was in a lot of pain, and I just had that brain that was like, "I'm young. I'll heal. I'll be good." Yeah. And I was not. And my I was injured. So I finally go and get an MRI, and my uh, my orthopedist is like, "I don't know how you've even been walking, let alone climbing stairs. You've got a badly torn meniscus." Yeah, whatever's around the meniscus must be pretty strong then. Or at least you were forcing it to be conditioned yeah, that way. Yeah, and that's probably how I screwed up my left knee, because I favored it for so long and yeah, so hard. Yeah, that, that's probably it, too. So, my left knee's aching a little bit now that the weather's changing, but I still, you know, I still go hiking and stuff. It doesn't, like... There you go. Sometimes I slap on a knee brace to dance. That's What's your favorite it. hiking spot in New York? So, I've only been to two state parks. I've been up to uh, Harriman. Nice. Or actually three. Harriman, Hudson Highlands, and Sterling. Sterling cool. Forest. And all three are kind of in that same, like, band up there by, uh, the town is Tuxedo. Yes. I don't yeah, know if it means yeah, anything yeah. to you. I went to school in Orange County, so. Oh, okay, so, yeah. So, yeah, there's, they're all really beautiful. There's a lot of really well-maintained trails up there. Uh, the one we're looking forward to, my cousin, my cousin's kind of my hiking buddy, or I became his. He invited me along, and I kind of got the bug. Cool. Uh, cool. there's a spot called, and I shit you not, Breakneck Ridge. Yeah, I know about Breakneck oh, Ridge. Oh, dude, I'm psyched It'll for that. It'll fuck your day up. Because be ready. Be what, ready. Ready? Here's what happened. I have I have a little, like, preamble on my breakneck trip. So we had been hiking someplace else with it was me, my cousin, his girlfriend, and a friend of hers. Okay. And we're we're going hiking, and we come back, and me and Mike got in our heads. My cousin Mike got in our heads. Like, we're just, I want to go see this gorge. This gorge that's a quarter mile into Breakneck Ridge. Yeah. Quarter mile, 20 minutes, bing, bang, boom, quick adventure. We didn't realize that first quarter mile is effectively a 90 degree angle. Whoa. It's a serious scramble up that yeah, way. Yeah, that's going to do it. And I mean, you know, any serious rock climbers in the audience will look at me and say, that dude don't climb rocks. And they're, you're right, I don't. But Yeah, I'm not this, a regular rock climber either. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this isn't what you'd call rock climbing. I guess they yeah. call it scrambling. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of on all fours, right. but you're not, you know, actually, like, guess pulling yourself and then you, up. You have, like, you have, like, waist or chest high you yeah. know, boulders that you have to climb up onto, but, you know. Dude, you're gonna have a great time. I'm Break super Ridge is great. There's a one around there. I have a very, I have a soft spot for is Mount Beacon. Um, Mike and I did that two or three weeks ago. That was a great. You hike. get an amazing view. When Be, you get, uh, to the you top, get a lot dude. of great views. I went there. to school in uh, Newburgh, right across the Hudson mm-hmm. River, Mount St. Mary College, and that was just the spot to go to. Is you would yeah. hike how uh, hike Mount Beacon and and it's uh, a no joke yeah. hike either. It's a no. It's, it's a no joke hike for sure. You know, the way down is actually tougher than the way up. Yeah. Because, you know, you really can't. You know, they say it's worse for your knees going down than going up. But that's what we actually got lucky. One of our guys had actually done that already. So we planned it to go up the hard way and down the easy way. Ah, okay. That's a good move. Yeah, the the hard way is like off to the left, if I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. That's a, that's the thing. New York is such a diverse state. It's it's so. Oh yeah, it's hard. It's easy to forget like how much dense and untouched nature there is. I'm not as yeah. much as there should be, but from where we live and you gotta like you gotta drive through the Bronx to Bro, get to it. You just go like but if you go like nine like sixty to ninety minutes upstate, which mm-hmm. is not even upstate, you're still on the no, lower you're... half of New York. Exactly. But we call it upstate, which is fine. Anything north of Westchester is upstate. It's upstate. <laughs> Bro, for some people Westchester is upstate. Yeah. Um but dude, you just get to that area. Mm-hmm. And it's just green everywhere you look. Like mm-hmm. I got a buddy of mine who lives in Carmel, right by Lake Carmel. And it's great. They just, like, built this whole town around the lake. And it's really cool. Like, the roads are really hilly. And it's just such a... It's a different world. And it's really not that far away. No, it's not far at all. It's right there. And we forget what it's like when there's just, like, a couple of trees. Because you're used to seeing one or two in a dude's lawn. Yeah. If you see five trees standing together, you're like, fuck. Yeah, you're... Look at all them trees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. 
Oh my god. <sighs> Have you uh, considered living anywhere other than New York? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right now, what's in my head is I'm going to move uh, to Queens and just be close to work. I would like to ride my bike to the office and stuff like that. Okay. But long run... I could see Vermont. I could see Vermont is like nice. I could see upstate. I I like mountains and woods. And that You're an setting. outdoorsy fellow. Um, yeah, but in a very specific way. I don't want to be like in the south where there's spiders and snakes and shit. Yeah, I feel you. I don't gotcha. like I don't like the heat whatsoever. I like kind of cool outdoorsy. I could see that. This You're is, a mountain guy. This You're is a mountain my guy. this is my time of year. A hundred percent. Fall and spring are my favorite. I got a little a tie um, between the both. Of them. I'm a fall winter guy. You're a fall winter guy. I'll say this, I do like wearing my pea coat in the winter. Oh, yeah. It makes you feel pretty slick. Just recently unpacked the coats. It's nice, the coats, to, it's nice yeah. to, like, dip your toe back into that. You know, it's nice to be in jeans and jackets again. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. That's, I don't know why, maybe I'm weird. That's, like, comfortable wear for me. Yeah, and I think it, it depends a lot on, like, how hot a person runs. Because I know people who, like, are are always cold, even in the summer and stuff. And they're, yeah, the, think, they're the ones that hate the winter. Yeah, I think I'm just hairy. And, so I run hot. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I run hot. I feel like being German, I'm built for cold. In the summer, I'm constantly hot, and there's just no way to there's no way to stop the sweating. Yeah. So I just, I ache for fall and winter. So I, how do you, you, it doesn't bother you. You know what I, you know the thing I don't like about winter is, it's like, I actually really like snow. Oh, I really like snow. I think snow makes the, makes the world look beautiful. I really do. But uh, sentiments aside, what I fucking hate about the winter is having to defrost my car. See, you know it's what? just like now I'm losing 10, 15 minutes of sleep. <laughs> you gotta, you got, you got auto, baby. you got auto start on your car. Do I got auto? No, no. I have a 2018 Kia Optima. Well, you which... can get that installed. I got a 2018 uh, Jeep Renegade. Nice. How are you liking that? Oh, dude, I love that car. Fuck it. I mean, I got, I got a middle aged ladies car. I realized like two weeks after I bought it. But... Yeah, Jeep's a Jeep. They're cool. That's the thing. I, I, Spacious. That's what fun. I thought. A Jeep's a Jeep, and it, the thing's like bigger on the inside than it is on the out, and it's great. Yeah, but for then sure. you, I'm driving along, and it's a fairly popular car, and every other driver is <laughs> like, it's like, man, how many kids you got, lady? <laughs> it's all middle aged ladies. Dude, I used to drive my dad's uh, Chrysler Pacifica. <laughs> It was a lot like that. I had that when I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. I had that. And that was just so baffling to people. They were like, but why? Like, oh, yeah, that was my dad's. Yeah. Uh, graduated, got it off him. They're just like, but why not just get a sedan? Well, the South this, was, this was the car. <laughs> this was the car. It's a dope car. I love that car. Uh, and that's the thing. I was doing a lot of uh, like music gigs mm. in that time. So it was good to have like a big yeah. car to pack my fucking amp. And like all my it like all my instruments and stuff. I was in a very similar boat. My first car was a Dodge Dakota, a little four door pickup. Dakota, damn callback. You want to talk about the one thing? The only time I ever hated snow was driving in the snow in a truck where there's no weight over the rear wheels. Oh, that man. you couldn't, you couldn't. Oh man! Like I would have to borrow cars because my car could not handle snow. It could barely handle rain. Shit. Needed to put, like, sandbags and stuff in the back. It was bad. Dude, when I was living down south in Charleston, the city would shut down if it was raining hard enough. <laughs> That's how these people roll. If it's raining, they're like, yo, nobody needs to That's... go anywhere. We're shutting this bitch. I wouldn't go That's to work. soft. I wouldn't go to work, bro. I used to work for Amazon when I was down there. I wouldn't go to work. That's soft. That's 10-ply. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. But I'll say this. When they got heavy rain, the places did flood. They just weren't built for mm. it. That's really what it came down to is they weren't built for it. The way we're built for it. Yeah, because we're in we're in kind of that sweet spot where you never know what the nature's going to be, so you have to be you prepared have to for all the everything. nature. And that's one of the reasons why it's expensive to live here. Yeah. You know? But, dude, there when there was a... It wasn't even a hurricane anymore, but one of the hurricanes that made their way around the southeast, when a tropical storm that branched off that hurricane came to the city, the place was so flooded, people were rolling canoes around, <laughs> dude. It was insane. It was great because I had an elevated porch. Oh, nice. But it was like the porch was like the no, edge you, of the pool. You were beachfront. Yeah, beachfront. <laughs> I just see these goons canoeing around trying to sell people like groceries and shit. Oh, my God. People to are To sell people? People try to sell shit. That's the hustle. Dude, It's <laughs> human beings are hilarious. Grocery stores closed. What's up? It was probably the grocery yeah. store guy. That's what he's, he's taking advantage. <laughs> well, he's got the product. That's just good marketing. Ship the shit out before it floods. I'm saying. Um, oh, but man. yeah, so what? Uh, anywhere else you could see yourself living? Yeah, you know, like upstate, the Vermont, that kind of whole area. I got yeah. family down in North Carolina now. Would you ever live in another country? Mm, 
No, hard to say. I'd have to get better at German again. Like, it's been a while since I've practiced it, but, you know, Germany would be really sweet. I've, uh, you know, heard really excellent things about Switzerland. Yeah, I've always wanted to visit Switzerland. But like, it seems like a cool place. And then, you know, Canada's always on the list. It's just kind of the cool neighbors to the north. Yeah, they're the hat. I could I could learn a little French. Do you know what's crazy? There's, there's a lot of unsettled land in North Canada. Mm-hmm. There's a there's lot a, of unsettled land. That country land. is big. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is, dude. Some people forget that. It's like yep. Russia comparable size, right? It's, I'm, comparable. I mean, I Russia's would, bigger, I, I think. I mean, looking at it on, like, the out-of-scale maps that I've seen, yeah, it's yeah, about the same. That's, I don't know. that's true. The maps... I learned that recently, too. The maps aren't necessarily a proper... No, yeah, your maps are kind of a lie. It just kind of fits them in a way that makes that looks nice. Uh-oh, dude, you're going to trigger the Flat Earthers? Oh, yeah. Be careful. Good. <laughs> I hope they get triggered. I'm a big fan of Donut Earth. Ooh, I donut like Earth. Donut Earth. That there's a black hole in the middle of the Earth, and we're all, like, rotating around the black hole, Where's... but it's creating a donut <laughs> Where... of, like, the planet. <laughs> where's the Popham? Where's, where's the, the where's, where's the Munchkin? What happened? That's the sun. It's <laughs> running parallel to the black hole on Donut Earth. Yo, maybe this is what gets the podcast to blow up. The Donut Earth Theory. I think if we leaned into it and took it seriously, we'd, like, get on stern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, but long story short, Flat Earthers come for me. Yeah. I'm not on Facebook. Try and find me. Let's go. Open invitation. <laughs> Open invitation. Um, no, I almost feel like stupid conspiracies like that are a psyop. To like just write off all conspiracies. Oh, that, in general. I mean that would make that would make perfect sense to me. Because it's like, just okay, so ridiculous. Like, as this long is the as no, one that's getting popular. Like as long one. as nobody actually believed it, that's fine. Like distract me from whatever you need to distract me from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh so you're a big hockey guy. I am a big hockey guy. You're a big hockey. Guy. We were getting to that a little bit. So you really think the Rangers are just going to disappoint you for the rest of your life? Mm, I mean, that's, or, or at least until Lundqvist is gone. Or did your brother say that? I think Rob said that, but you know, it's kind of a that's something that a lot of Rangers fans would agree on these days. I think that we had Hank in his prime, but he's not in it anymore. So, do you think the Rangers are pretty much doomed to not win with Henrik Lundqvist? Anything they're going to win right after you get rid of him? You know, that's going to depend, and it's been it's been a tough season already for me because they open strong like they always do, and it turns into you got to remind yourself every day, like a lot of young kids. Rebuilding year, we're not, you know, we're not looking for a push for the cup this year. We're, we we got to rebuild a team here, and it's hard to stay focused for a whole season for like the first time, you exactly. know, when you're first starting. But yeah, I don't know if it'll be right after because it'll depend when the day comes. But I don't think Hank gets a cup. You don't think Hank? Gets it's a unfortunate cup? because I think he deserves it more than anybody else in the league, almost. But I don't know if he's ever going to see so one. So doomed to be the Dan Marino of hockey I, goals. I pray he proves me wrong. I pray every night he proves me wrong. I think New York guys. would. I think New York would throw a shit fit. If it happened. I think there's a lot of Rangers fans. I think the Long Island Railroad would be crazy. Oh, man. Like, after the game they won. Oh, the city would burn. I think it would be insane. You think it'd be a repeat of Philly? I don't know. the Super Bowl? I don't know about a repeat of Philly because that's... That's pretty next level. Philly is its own, like, very insular... (laughs) Philly is its own thing in general. And then Philly fans on top of it are their own thing in general. Also facts, I should say Philly fans in Philly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think hockey fans in New York... Are a different animal and an equally terrifying one, but it's I don't I don't even know what to expect if well, the, if that day ever comes. I know I've got a few friends who are definitely starving for a championship. Yeah. I have no hope for the Islanders until they find a home. I don't think you could win. A, obviously, teams have won probably won championships when they're in like in between venues, but I yeah. feel like you can't really win without a home. And they almost just seem like the homeless adopted kid and, who's just being passed around, divorced parents. And forget having a home. They don't even seem to have a family these days because, you know, a lot of, <laughs> you got you got fans jumping ship. People, yeah. You know, fans are losing a lot of faith in the Islanders and I'll I can see it. why. I'll say this. I got some hockey friends who are Islander fans. They don't, they don't chirp as much as they used to about it. And, you know? And it's a shame. It's a shame. It was nice having them in Asshole Coliseum. I love, because, like, you know, we grew up in Merrick, so... Like, it was oh, a it's five, ten minute ride. Hop, skip, and a jump. It's right there. You it could was... ride your bike if you had to. Also true. You could save on the parking. That's saying. <laughs> but your bike would get stolen. Most likely. Yeah. Most likely. It's a one-way bike. It's a one-way <laughs> it's bike. De- it's definitely a disposable bike. You might as well steal one on your way to the Coliseum. Yeah, since you're not going to get it back. The most effective thing. <laughs> oh. But they'll be close again. Or they'll close-ish. be close again. You know what I miss? I miss when they used to do arena football. In the Coliseum. Oh, you know, I never saw that, but it sounds like... The New York Dragons? That sounds like an afternoon of day drinking I could really get behind. Because <laughs> I'm not a big football guy, but I think arena football might be more my speed. Exactly. 
because it's so much more like brutal like people going over like uh like the sidelines mm-hmm. people are tumbling into the stands it's only a 50 yard field right so like guys on the first play are just are like bombing. Chuck bombing it into the end zone it's yeah. it's meant to just be an offensive powerhouse game and it, i remember going as a kid and it was so much fun see it sounds like it sounds a little bit like football meets hockey and i could really get into that yeah i mean it is played in a hockey arena you know, and you, you still day. have you get like the boards and stuff like that, right? Yep, yeah. yep. And it's yeah, it was an absolute blast. They're bringing the XFL back. I don't know if you know anything What's about that. No. So you know Vince McManus, mm-hmm. he runs pro wrestling. He's starting a football league. He oh, sold geez. like fifteen. I, I'm going to butcher the number, but he sold something like fifteen percent of his shares in WWE to start the XFL. Okay. It's, it's going to start, I think, a week after the Super Bowl, and it's just supposed to be like. The X is for, like, extreme. Okay. So he's yeah. going to try and marry pro football and pro wrestling, I guess, to some degree. So I don't know what that's going to be like. Sure. like Go ahead. <laughs> We're the New York Guardians in the XFL. But oh, is that what we are? But they're gargoyles. You think he's just, like, illiterate? Or he doesn't... I just think maybe the word gargoyle, maybe it was more expensive. Maybe there's some copyright on gargoyle that we don't know about. I guess so. Like I, I don't know, could be anything. Because like the 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 guy on the logo was a gargoyle. They they did like, you know, wrestlers cut promos. Mm-hmm. They cut a promo for every team. Oh. And- <laughs> <laughs> this is like, so it's not sports anymore, really. It's it's sports and theater. It's the it's the rest- cheesy theater. You can call it cheesy theater, but sure. it's sports and theater is really what they're going yeah. for. I don't know. I don't I don't think it'll be for me. But hey, maybe maybe Vince proves me wrong on this one. Maybe there's a small pocket of, like, pro wrestling fans, and this is exactly what they're looking for. Like, who knows, right? You know? Could be. Could be. And I've never been much of a pro wrestling fan, not since I was younger, but... When I was young, I loved it. Oh, yeah. I you think, know what I, I think as a young person, most you, dudes love it. Did you ever play the video games? Oh, yeah. Did you play SmackDown? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the one that I did. Like, PS2, right? PS2, yeah. Dude, mm-hmm. it occurred to me. I was like... I feel like this, in a way, was so ahead of its time with the campaign where you customize a character, create mm-hmm. a character, and you move through a storyline that's driven by your dialogue choices. Yeah, and actually, and then, what was it, FIFA got all excited when they totally lifted that same concept. All the sports games lifted it. I feel like that really paved the way, yeah. those old SmackDown games, because I fell in love with that. I was like, oh, I could put myself in the game? There was really nothing else yeah. I could do that with. Like, I could always rename a Final Fantasy character. Back right. in the day, you can name whatever you want, but you could actually customize the character and put it in the game. To jump back though, when you're when you're creating, <coughs> when you're naming your character in a Legend of Zelda game, what do you call him? Ooh, I, you know, I really like naming him after myself. Really? So I think I feel like Link, his name is Link, right? He's the link between the player and the game, and I almost okay. feel like I put that name on him. But I did like in Breath of the Wild that the series seems to have evolved the story to a point where we're just gonna call him Link. Yeah. Like, he's going to be Link. That's going to be his name. That's going to be his character. And you got to think, there's so many heroes, right? There's so many there's so many incarnations of Link, and there have been so many heroes over the years. Yeah. Do you think that mothers would go around in Hyrule and, like, just name their kid Link, just hoping? <laughs> like, maybe maybe he's the well, one. <laughs> maybe. I guess you have to ask every Spanish mother who names their kid Jesus. There you go. You know, I guess it's the same ideal. Um, but who knows, man? Yeah. Well, whoever Link's mom is, she always seems to either drop him off with Grandma or in the forest... Yeah, that's true. I mean, that you Link's maybe, parents never seem to make it. Yeah, you Link's know? family seems to be cursed a little bit. Yeah, kind of makes you wonder about the origins. Do you think they'll ever go into something like that, or do you think it's just going to be ambiguous forever? I was watching a YouTube video the other day, actually, because yeah, I was watching a YouTube video the other day. There, apparently, there were plans, or there were at least concepts and sketches and stuff to put Link's family or memories of Link's family in Breath of the Wild. Whoa! So because they, they do talk about his father, right? They talk like Zelda mentions his father. That, yeah. I think in the uh, in the new book they put out, not the Hyrule Historia, but Making a Champion, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, I think it's talked about where uh, Link's father was a knight, and he kind of Link follows in his footsteps and then surpasses him in mm-hmm. the ways that he does. But long story short, the the guy whose YouTube video it was was positing that that might be something they explore in the sequel because they have games have a tendency to like scrap stu- scrape stuff up from the cutting room floor. For the sequel to like build off and give new, uh, new like depth and dimension to it, that would be pretty crazy. They might do that in the sequel. That's what that's that's yeah. the that's the theory. Is that that's, that's the theory, and that's kind that? of my hope as well. Yeah. What do you? Well, what you got any other theories that you could draw from that trailer they dropped? Because I kind of freaked out about it. Oh, I mean, I got really excited for like one week, way too early. 
because like i i started thinking about it a lot and then i was like hang on you need to you need to cool your jets this game is years away yeah literally although i guess we don't have a release date but didn't they say 2020 they say 2020 i think they said it's gonna be a 2020 game oh goodness all right i'll get i'll get a little more excited i mean they're reusing a lot of the assets which definitely help Mm -hmm, you know Um, so what do you what you pull from the trailer i guess so ganondorf is back ganondorf is back my thinking and you know some of the some of my theories are lifted from videos i've watched because like i said i got pretty obsessed for a pretty intense period um the malice they they've keep they've kept him the way that he is to extract the malice from him because i think or i think or i've been led to believe that's what powers the sheikah technology yes and that's kind of what makes like the Sheikah. It's such a gray. It becomes a gray area. So who? Right? Ha- so who's the one making this decision? It's got to be the royal family, right? Yeah. So Hy- the Hyrule's- skeletons in King Ross Baramus's closet, man. Hyrule's dark secret is that they're secretly maintaining this weird Ganondorf mummy. You know, it's funny. I I love that idea in a sequel, right? Like, were you a fan of the old Batman trilogy? I'm going to tie it in a little bit. Oh, yeah. So, it's like in The Dark Knight, right? They find a way to uphold the establishment, Mm -hmm. but there's a dark secret lying underneath it. Harvey Dent killed the, like, you know, Harvey Dent became a murderer, but they they kept him the White Knight. And then that became... you keep up your appearances, and then... But then eventually, you know, the the devil rises up, and, you know, Bane personified that, exposed the truth, Mm -hmm. and it all crumbled. So, it's like, I almost feel like based on what you're saying it almost sounds like breath of the wild is going to follow that same trope i think so like we'll we'll get a new definitely a new perspective because you know you get a new link every game yeah get a new royal family if you want and this particular royal family is a bunch of jackasses yeah or, or just ignorant you know or maybe they inherited this who knows that's how far true back i think it goes, i know? think zelda's probably ignorant of it but the, i think the king of hyrule has got to be the one putting a stamp on this you would think you, so right i don't know i don't know if you get like rogue hylian mages Run around like, yeah, let's just resurrect the King of Thieves real quick and see what happens. Yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna exactly find that. Not in secret anyway. You like yeah. saw the, saw the size of the chamber. But you know that's that's kind of the thing is Zelda's trope is like she embodies wisdom, you know, within mm. the trio, and like it's very clear. Like Breath of the Wild was very much about her. Like all the memories at the end of the day had everything to do with her. Link got to be Link was a character with his own arc, but. The, the game's plot was primarily focused on Zelda's mm-hmm. character arc. And being that she embodies wisdom, I almost feel like inevitably she's going to shine a light on the dark truth of Hyrule. And right. the only way Hyrule can truly achieve peace is if it patches it up. And that's the maybe that's the one thing that Zelda didn't want to know was her her father's misdeeds or whatever. Yeah. I think there's a lot of really interesting ways you could go with it. Well, did I you, mean, did you like, hear the theory that this could be the Twilight Princess Ganondorf that was struck down? Yes. Yeah. I, I, because I mean, he's already been back from the spirit realm. So, yep. And the Zelda timeline is relatively convoluted, but I feel like the more, the more they consciously add titles onto the timeline, the more like fluent it'll be able. To yeah, flow. I think they're definitely putting a lot more thought into it. Yeah, because they they realize it was something the fans want. Because you know, every Game Facts forum in the early two thousands had their own fan theory about it. Right, and in in a way, it was a lot more fun when it was a Wild West, and who knows, and doesn't matter. And you know, now you have directors and our producers giving interviews saying, "No, this is this is the canon timeline. This is the what it is." Yeah, and you have some YouTubers, I think, uh, like Matt Pat, put out a video where he's criticizing the timeline and saying, "You got it wrong. This doesn't make sense. It would have to be this way." But then, like, it's so funny the way the internet works. Another big YouTuber responded to MatPat, like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. They got this. <laughs> That's pretty wild. But it's all kind of, it all kind of points to the fact that it's a, it's a series that people feel really strongly about. It really is. You know, it's, I feel like the one thing video games did so well early in their development was music. Music oh, yeah. has always been amazing. And Legend of Zelda, it's all, at the end of the day, like, it's, they put music at the center of the whole series. Like, mm-hmm. you play the ocarina, you know, in Wind Waker, they always find a way to involve music at the end of the day. Like, yeah. the Champion's Ballad, you know, you had, what's mm-hmm. his name? Uh, uh, Reva- uh, not Ravali, Ryoto, Ryoto, something, something yeah. like that. You know what I'm getting at. The big blue pelican who played all the yeah, songs. Yeah, the, the dude with the accordion running around. Exactly. Um, they always put music right in the middle of I it. I think that was a concertina. I don't want to get corrected by my brother later. <laughs> Oh, God, I would have never known. I'd be calling that an accordion to yeah, my it's grave. A, it's a weird, tiny, different accordion. It's like an Italian version. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, yeah, um, that's something they did so well. I think as a kid, that's what drew me to Zelda, right? Because 
I, when I remember I was too young when I was first playing Zelda to really be able to make it to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, the games got too complex when I was like seven, six, eight years old. But you have that overworld world theme where you're riding around on Epona and you're just yeah. shooting stuff around in Hyrule Field. Oh, yeah, dude. Blissful. Amazing. It's, you feel the adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's... It, like, it swells in your chest. Exactly. I think that's just something. And that's, it's crazy because as an adult, you know, I guess you'll test this too. You play these games and it's still there. Mm-hmm. They find a way to access that. You know, to access yeah. your your start, your hunger for adventure, your hunger for challenge, because um, they know that's what it's all about, and that's what yeah. it's based on. Well, the first Legend of Zelda game was relatively open world by today's standards. Oh, yeah. You know, you could go in any order. At the end of the day, there was nothing restricting you. The first Final Fantasy was like that too. There were really no restrictions. You could go in whatever order you want. Yeah, and then I think as you grow a game like that, and we saw this with Ocarina, like it. It feels very open, but if you really think about it, it's it's got a linear entirely path. linear. Yeah, Ocarina of Time especially. You, you can go anywhere you want, but eventually you have to go where you have to go. So if you had to pick, we we got about five ten minutes left. So okay, let's let's keep this rolling. But do you, if you had to pick a favorite Zelda title, ooh, that's a rough one. It's always a tough one. So it's I would a, say favorite favorite before Breath of the Wild because it's hard to. It's hard to compare it to the others. Because Breath of the Wild is in some ways an evolution or like a deviation. It's something yeah, new. It's, it's a, definitely it's something entirely new. Diff- it feels like something new and different. So I would say favorite before Breath of the Wild? Mm, Majora's. Even though I, yeah, I I'm played, very happy you said that. Even though I played more of Ocarina, I would have to say Majora's Mask. I agree with you. I think Majora's Mask has the best story because they really got... They really got creative with it. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell the same and they, story. And they got weird with it. They yeah, let very themselves weird, be creepy. weird. Creepy. Well, the N64 is creepy. The graphics were creepy, mm-hmm. you know? So they, they really they sunk into, into that. that, like, uncanny valley yeah. look that all the polygons had. And the music was incredible. And, like, every little character... I love it because, if I could just nerd out for a second. Please. When you when you bump into the little kids who are running around Terminal, right? Mm-hmm. And they they sh- they give you their book and you become one of them. And it's all what, about doing they, good the deeds. The bomb squad. The, the bomb squad, yeah. yeah. And it's all about doing good deeds for people. And their philosophy is like a child becomes an adult when you do one good deed. Or when you start doing good deeds for people out of the goodness of your heart. Um, and that connects it to Ocarina of Time. Because Zelda said she's sending him back in time to relive the child that he was denied. Because he had to go on this quest. So, at the end of the day, what you're doing from place to place. Like, if you look at the, the Deku scrub whose mask you get, the Zoro whose mask you get, the Goron whose mask you get, you're like alleviating these people of their sadness. Mm-hmm. Their ghosts are lingering, and you're doing the good deed for them that allows them to pass on. You know? Yeah. It's just the, those, those sort of thematic ways that the gameplay itself tells the story. I've just seen unmatched in, you yeah. know, in any other game since. Majora's was, I think, an absolute masterpiece of storytelling in video game media. I agree. I think that they, they, it was just... You know, and that's why it's iconic, and that's why everybody remembers it. And double up, that's why I'm excited for Breath of the Wild too. Yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for another. And they're going Zelda. dark too. That's they're what they're dark. saying. They're going dark with it, and that that gets me excited. A- another creepy Zelda. That's gonna that's gonna be fun. I'm all about it. If you give me creepy and maybe some proper dungeons, it's probably my new favorite Zelda. Yeah, we can get there. Do you think we're getting a playable Zelda at some point? Because the rumor is, I um. If you know she had a haircut, her hair was shorter. Mm-hmm. So what game, if you've noticed, like, playable female characters, whether it's, like, the Resident Evil series or Tomb Raider or Bayonetta, or, like, you know, you can think of any playable female character. They typically either keep their hair short or tie it back. Yeah, I'd heard that. Yeah. Because so it's easier to animate. It's easier to animate in gameplay. So there, a lot of people think because Zelda cut her hair, we're going to get a playable it, Zelda it at some point in the game. Me. I don't. Th- I don't think the whole game is as Zelda. Yeah, I me th- neither. I don't think we're ready for that. Or, I don't want to say I don't think we're ready for that. I don't think the, I think you'd the have producers to do that as a would spin-off. do that. I think you'd have to do that as a spin-off. Because and I think the fans would shit. Well, yeah, because we want to play as Link. I want to be Link. Day. We all want to be Link. And that's what I'm saying. I'm, that's why it'd be great to have maybe a spin-off adventure game with Zelda playing yeah. Zelda. But I think Call what we've got... the Legend had, of Link. Did you, yeah, exactly. Did you, um, did you play Spider-Man on the PS4 by chance? Uh... Little 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 bits. Rob's got it, and I picked up the controller a couple times just to experience so, it. So you saw how there were some side missions you play as MJ or Miles. Mm-hmm. I would love it if we had that with Zelda. Yeah, if there were some side missions we could play with her, where the gameplay was different. Because we've already seen like Link and Zelda traveling around as companions, so I could definitely yeah. see that working. I want that dynamic through the game. That's what a lot of people thought Breath of the Wild was going to be. Um, but it'd be really cool to have that dynamic through the game where she's almost a party member yeah. and she's almost AI operated and she fights the battles with you. Like, do you see the way, like, if you had the wolf amiibo, 
the wolf would fight in the battles with you? I don't have a single amiibo. But Me neither. So. <laughs> Me neither. But if you had the wolf amiibo, he just followed your link around Hyrule. Okay. And just fought alongside you like it was smart enough to understand battle. So I'm wondering if maybe they worked on something like that. Yeah. Um, but we got to wrap this up. Um, I want to give you the floor for like a minute or two. I don't know if you want to, you know, got anything you want to um, say to the people? Any last words? Where they can find you? What you do? Anything? Well... As I as I said to the flat earthers, you can't find me. I don't care. I don't care for social media. Uh, I'm not an artist or a musician or anything like that. I have nothing to plug. Um, y'all should be kind to each other and don't throw your plastic in the garbage. And there you have it. Very simple message, Joe. Dude, thank you so much for Been coming a pleasure. on, man. Thank you very much. We'd man. love to have you back on sometime, man. Thank you. The thank you so much, dude. Lincoln You're welcome. Cosmos. All right, that's, that's it. That was fun, man. That was a lot of fun. And forever and ever and ever, whatever it is beyond that what you might call God in the Western tradition or Brahman in Hindu philosophy or Tao in Chinese. Every one of us is really that, but we are pretending we are. And we are pretending with tremendous skill, deception. Who are you?